0: You're listening to the Touch 'em Up Podcast. And on today's episode, we have UFC Fight Night, Yadong versus Sandhagen, UFC Vegas 60, Sandhagen versus Yadong. However, you want to call it, whatever name you want to use. We have a main event and a fantastic main event bout in the UFC's Bantamweight Division between top 10 contenders. First, you have the former title challenger and the number four ranked Corey, the Sandman Sandhagen, coming off. Of that razor-close decision loss to the returning man who's going to be fighting for the Bantamweight Championship against Eljamain Sterling at UFC 280 in TJ Dillashaw. You know, Sandhagen. a lot of people believe he won that fight, and it was razor, razor thin. He's going up against the number 10-ranked, 24-year-old Song Yadong, Amazing boxer, fantastic speed, and just a completely well-rounded fighter. You know, it's an, it's an amazing main event. It's really a flip of a coin, in my opinion. I know a lot of people are heavy on Sandhagen. I've seen some people really heavy on Yadong as well. But it's a very, very, very close matchup when it comes to the technical aspects of MMA. And I can't wait to get into those predictions. And then in the co main event of the evening, you have a firefight in the UFC's middleweight division between Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang, and Jokowani versus Gregory Robocop Rodriguez. Without a doubt, somebody is getting finished in this fight. It's either going to be a knockout from Chidi Anjikawani or Gregory Rodriguez or a submission from Gregory Rodriguez. But one thing is for certain, I do not expect us to see the final bell. And, you know, without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, everybody. All right, all right, all right you know, this is completely off topic and not a lot of people are probably going to care, but I finally used the light on the fan in, the, in my room and it literally looks like it's daytime and it's very late out here. So it's kind of crazy to me how powerful this light is. I know that means absolutely nothing and you probably don't care, but you know, I don't know. It's just kind of crazy to me because I've never used the light on this fan, but um, as we get a voice crack as well, you know, God, what what uh, what a what a great way to start off the episode. But before we get into the predictions, I mean, we have a fantastic card. It's very solid. i predicting almost all the fights on the main card and then one prelim as well. Um, really, really solid fights. You got Joe Pyfer versus Alan omadovsky You got Andre feely and Bill Elgio, Rodriguez and Enjikawani. The main event, which is absolutely fantastic, a really, really solid card. But if we go back to UFC 279, man, we had a successful night. We profited, I think, 3.4 units uh, in total. I think total winnings were like 550 bucks. Obviously, my units are hundred dollar units, so 550 bucks in total. But based off what we bet, which was around 120, 130, uh, you know, I think we bet more than that. Maybe it was a little bit more, but you know, I've counted it as 500 dollar wins because. Some of the money I can't get to right now. I don't know why. It's because I bet on a different website, but obviously bet responsible. But I think we profited, if we look at it 500, I think profited around 3.5 units. So $350 profit on the night. The week before that, we had 820 or $802 profit off of like $92 in bets. So we've been doing well the last couple of weeks. And I think, to be honest, I think the best thing I could say when it comes to Learning how to bet is obviously bet responsibly. You know, if you don't have money to be betting, then I wouldn't bet at all. And if you do have money to bet, just don't go crazy. And I could say that, too, because I've had nights where I bet a lot more than I should have. And it's not a lot, you know, talking to gamblers or stuff. If I told anybody who was a gambler, they probably would say it was nothing. But, you know, for for little old me, it's kind of a lot. But I think the best way to attack, you know, fights is if there's a fight that you think is razor thin – whether it's, you know, somebody can get knocked out, somebody can get submitted. You know, if that's the case and you're really picking, having a hard time picking who's going to win, I would just bet fight doesn't go the distance. If you wholeheartedly believe in your heart that the fight is going to be finished one way or another, I think fight doesn't go the distance is the best bet. If you think it's a very close fight and you don't want to pick, but you think that the fight probably goes to decision, then if you don't want to pick the fight, then bet fight goes the distance you know, 8 or 9 out of 10 times, I'll say, you're going to get better odds on picking fight to go the distance, fight doesn't go the distance, you know, over-unders on over 1.5 rounds, over 2.5, under 1.5, you know, stuff like that. You're going to get better odds on that than sometimes taking heavy favorites. Obviously, if it's close, like pick them odds, then it's better to just pick the winner. But if it's a very close matchup, you know, on paper, and the odds don't really reflect that, then sometimes it's better to go, Fight goes the distance, fight doesn't go the distance, over-unders on the round. Sometimes it's better and it's a little bit safer to not have to worry about who wins, but just worry about how the fight plays out, you know? And, you know, if we look at last week, I had a lot of correct picks. I mean, we had Chris Barnett as a huge underdog, which I didn't predict on the podcast, but I did have him in my lineup. I had him as a huge underdog in a couple parlays. I ended up hitting, we'll actually pull it up because I can pull it up right here. I'll tell you the parlays that I hit. It'll load for me. Sorry, just give me a minute. It's having a little bit of difficulty loading. All right, all right, all right. Is it going to work? Is it going to work? do 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 Okay, here we go. So we're going to sign in. And then I will let you guys know. So, if you go to bets, a settled? We had a, let's see, we had a four-leg parlay that hit for us. Uh, it was Jelton Almeida by submission, Irene Aldana by knockout, which had a juicy plus three sixty. Really solid pick there. Uh, Kutelaba and Walker doesn't go the distance. I'm so glad that I bet that, and this is what I'm talking about. My pick for the fight was Kutelaba, and I had Kutelaba in a couple parlays that he really cost me, so I decided to just play fight doesn't go the distance because I knew that was going to be a finish either way, and even though you get minus 425 odds, which it's like, oh, okay, like, you know, why do you want to play that? It's, It's crazy odds, but in a parlay, it doesn't affect it too much, so... You know, and then I had Johan Liness. Now, a lot of people believe that Darian Weeks beat Johan Liness. Did I get lucky on there? Probably. But, you know, it is what it is. So, Almeida by submission at minus 115. Aldana by KO at plus 360. Fight doesn't go the distance at minus 425. Johan Liness at plus 105. We bet uh, 0.2 units came out at 4. 4. or 4.15 unit profit on that parlay. So, very, very solid win there. And then we also had another parlay which hit for us. If I can pull it up. We had... Where is it? A four-leg with Irene Aldana, Li Jing Liang over... What the hell? So we had a parlay that paid out $63. Or, you know, 0.63 units on a 0.2 unit. So a little bit of a profit there. We had Johan Lines, Daniel Rodriguez, Rene Aldana, and then Lee Jingliang over Tony Ferguson. But obviously the Holland and Rodriguez fight got canceled. And then Jingliang and Ferguson got canceled as well. And then we had that four-legger that hit at paid out at 435. So we hit about $500 total. Another thing we had was... Uh, I have like $52 in profit on another app, which I use Bovada and it doesn't seem to be working too well for me. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's only Bitcoin that you can bet over there, but it is what it is. But either way, around a 3.4 unit profit, profited around $340 the week before, about $802 in profit. So on the last two weeks, we're up at about, I mean, $340. If if it's like three forty. dollars and then, you know, eight we're at about $1,200 profit in the last two weeks, which definitely makes up for all those weeks where we lost our asses and came really close to winning and we didn't. So I feel like I have a better outlook on how to pick these fights, and sometimes you just have to go with your gut. That is the one thing I can say, go with your gut. If everybody's siding with a heavy favorite or an underdog and you really don't see it, Go with your gut. If you're smart with this sport, if you know what you're talking about, go with your gut when you try to place your bets. Go with your gut when you try to make your decisions on who you want in your parlays, who you want to bet straight up. Always go with your gut because I'm telling you there are a lot of parlays where I bet. I'll tell you, the, the Luke jeff Neal fight uh, when Jamal Hill knocked out Thiago Santos, I had a parlay for $722 in profit, and I didn't want to add Luke to it. But I put him in there and I said, man, I have Luke and a couple other parlays, but Jeff Neal is such a tough matchup. And I feel like people are heavily underestimating him. I almost took it out and swapped Jeff Neal. Even though my pick on the podcast was Luke, a, I almost swapped it out. But I said, you know what? Forget it. I'll put Luke a in there. You know, maybe you're just wrong. Maybe you're just overthinking it. I put Luke and he loses. I don't win the parlay. So that's an example of... If I went with my gut, I could have made another you know eight hundred dollars in profit. And that's the best advice I can give you. And I'm not one to give advice on picking on betting on fights because I'm not the best better, but predictions I do pretty well when it comes to breaking the fights down. But I would say that the best option would be to, Go with your gut, and if you don't feel comfortable enough to play a fight by picking a winner, then play how you believe the fight will go. Even if it's better odds or or higher odds to, you know, pick the fight doesn't go the distance. Pick fight goes to decision. You know, if it's higher odds, but you have a feeling that that's exactly how it's going to play out, well, then wouldn't you rather take how you exactly think it's going to play out, add it to a parlay, Even though it might affect your odds, you can put other things on there to adjust it. I feel like that's a better way. But the best thing is go with your gut. And if you're not comfortable playing fight, don't play it. But let's get into these predictions. Let's get into came. Let's get in to start doing what we came here to do. Let's do what we came here to do, boys. And we're going to start it off with a fight in the UFC's featherweight division on the prelims between Damon, the leech Jackson coming into the fight with a record of 21 victories, four defeats, one drawn, one, no contest going up against Gracie Philly's own. I believe it's Gracie Philly, the gym he trains out of in Pat Sabatini, who's four and in the UFC as a professional MMA fighter, or I think he's five and oh, in the UFC now and comes in with a professional record of 17 victories and three defeats. Now, if we go over to Sure Dog, what's up, dog? We'll pull up Pat Sabatini. He's got 17 wins, three losses, 10 by submission, five decisions, and two KOs. Only lost one KO and then two losses via decision. Last loss came outside of the UFC to James Gonzalez, but it was a TKO due to an arm injury, so it wasn't even really a TKO. He lost a split decision to Jose Mariscal and then. He's beat guys like Damon Blackshear. I've, I've heard a, a little bit about him. I think he just recently fought in the UFC and got a big win under his belt. If I, if my memory does serve me correctly, I believe he beat somebody where I picked his opponent to beat him. Oh, it was the Yusuf Salal fight? It was a draw. So went toe to toe with Yusuf Salal, which is a very, very solid, very, very solid performance for him to go toe to toe with Salal. And then in the UFC, he is currently sitting at one, two, three, four, four three, four. Four, no, I was right. Okay, I was originally right. See, go with your gut. But I, he's got wins over Tristan Connolly via decision. Uh, Heel hook submission over Jamal Emers, a decision over Tucker Lutz, and then recently a decision over TJ Laramie. So 4-0 in the UFC, three decisions and one submission, but has 10 submissions out of 17 victories in his career. And then you go to his opponent in Damon the Leech Jackson. He's coming off of that big win over a short notice replacement in Daniel Argueta. That was at UFC Fight Night 207 back in June. He won that via unanimous decision, but didn't look the best in the third round. But in the first two, he was able to take down... Um, the standout wrestler and Dan Argueta control him on the floor but you know Argueta kept pushing forward pushing the pace landed some good combinations on the feet and uh you know Damon Jackson is not a very good striker he has decent striking but if you have a guy who's very technical and sharp on the feet they're probably going to beat Damon Jackson when it comes to the striking game he's more well known for his wrestling his jiu-jitsu his ability to control people on the floor lock up submissions put him in bad positions from the top and just Overall control them and, you know, grind them out to a decision kind of like the rise and grind, but more of a jujitsu style than a wrestling style. He's very, very solid on the floor. And, um, he's got that arm triangle choke submission over Kamala Kirk, a unanimous decision over Charles Rosa, which looked good at the time. But if you really think about it, it's not the, it's not the best one. you know, Charles Rosa's kind of been very cold in the UFC. Uh, Got knocked out by Ilya Teporia with a crazy knockout. That left hook to the body and that right hand over the top. Boom, 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 boom. Dropped him and put him out up against the cage. He had a guillotine choke submission over Mirsad Bektich, who, again, it was a good win at the time back in September 2020. But even at that point, Mirsad Bektich's hype, um, all the praise and stuff that he was getting going into the UFC out of TriStar, you know, he really, really cooled off as well. I mean, if you look at Mirsad Bektich's last couple of fights, he... You know, is 13-4 and four overall, but he's coming off of three back-to-back-to-back losses. The submission to Damon Jackson, the split decision over Dan, or loss to Dan Ige, and then the TKO to Josh Emmett. His last win is in June of 2018 um, to Ricardo Lamas. So he beat Ricardo Lamas in June 2018, and that was a split decision. So he hasn't had the best career in the UFC, lost to Darren Elkins as well, came back and beat Godafredo Castro. You know, beat some decent guys, but really, really hasn't shown up too well in the UFC. I mean, losses to Dan Ige and Josh Emmett isn't, the isn't you know, the worst guys to be losing to, obviously. But, you know, Damon Jackson did beat him and finish him with a submission. And, you know, when it comes down to this fight, we'll look at the stats a little bit. Actually, you know what? Before we do that, I want to check something really quick with Pat Sabatini. If I can pull up his uh, Renzo Gracie Philly. Okay, I was right. Renzo Gracie Philly. And uh, MPR Endurance is the gym he comes out of. When you look at Damon Jackson, he comes out of Fortis MMA with Coach Safe Sayud. So really good coaching on both sides. You know, like I said, Gracie Philly undefeated in the UFC so far. Their team has not suffered a defeat. Some guys on the team include, obviously, You got Pat Sabatini, you got Sean Brady, who has a big fight coming up against Bilal Muhammad at UFC 280, and then you also have Issa Dalapaj, who is still over in CFFC, but he trains out of Gracie Philly as well. His last fight, I believe he lost to Jose Perez, who we actually got to interview on this podcast. If you haven't got the chance to check out that interview, then go out of your way to do so. Very, very solid interview, and the first interview Jose did as the interim CFFC featherweight champion, so very, very solid uh, interview, and again... The Gracie Philly team has been very, very solid as well. Undefeated in the UFC, which is very impressive. And when it comes to Pat Sabatini versus Damon Jackson, here's what I see. I think that Damon Jackson is decent on the feet. But I think the area where he's so dominant in, I don't think he's going to be able to have that same success with the top pressure, the grappling against the guy in Pat Sabatini. Sabatini is so active and so heavy on the forward pressure. He's always pushing forward, getting in your face. He has a very solid left kick to the body from Southpaw. I expect to see him use that switch kick or left kick to the body on Damon Jackson. He's got decent boxing, but it's really his world when it goes to the ground. Now, do I expect Damon Jackson to give him some trouble? Do I expect there to be some crazy scrambles? Yes, I do. I think Damon Jackson will end up in the top position at a certain point. I think he will get a takedown, will end up in the top position. But I don't think he's ever faced a grappler the level of a Pat Sabatini. Now, I could say the same thing about Sabatini. I don't think he's faced a grappler the level of a Damon Jackson. But I just think that Pat Sabatini is so effective at being able to transition from position to position, you know, being able to shoot takedowns. If they stuff it, he can, he can chain takedown attempts together, you know, go head on the inside single, snatch it out, change it to a double leg. If he can't get the double leg, he can turn the corner with that single leg and use a crack down to get the position. He can, you know, scramble off of his back. He can look for leg locks in the imanari role, you know, and playing the Ashi Garami game. He really never settles for bottom position, and even if he does end up on bottom, I expect him to be able, looking to shrimp his hips in, looking to recover guard, looking to get the underhooks, looking to shrimp his hips towards Damon Jackson, looking to get on top position, I think Pat Sabatini's just relentless, but I think he's much better technically than Damon Jackson on the ground, and I think he's a better wrestler, I think their jujitsu is pretty close, but I think Sabatini is the better technical grappler, I think he's the better technical striker on the feet as well, like I said, those body kicks, you know, the shots up top with the boxing, but I really think he's going to dominate Damon Jackson in the grappling. I mean, we've seen him, Damon Jackson, do that to a lot of guys, but the longer the fight goes, Damon Jackson tires out. I've never seen Pat Sabatini really succumb to the pressure. I've seen his gas tank be able to push hard, with heavy grappling exchanges, constantly looking for takedowns, constantly pushing the opponent up against the cage, looking for doubles, looking for singles, looking to work to the back, looking to get those hooks in if he does end up in the top position. If he ends up on the bottom, constantly rolling for leg locks, using the Ashigurami game, looking to recover butterf- butterfly guard, looking to push off on the hips, looking to get up to his own hip to then reverse position as he sits up and turns you over onto your back. Pat Sabatini is relentless with his pressure, relentless with his top control, and is very, very smart at making those small, minor adjustments when it comes to the grappling. Maybe it's just kicking your foot out. Maybe it's just breaking your base down. Maybe it's just turning his hip a little bit to the left. Maybe it's turning a little bit to the right so he can get on top position and look to, you know, ground and pound you. I think there is a possibility that Pat Sabatini does lock up a submission in that, you know, third round. I think it's possible that he does get a submission in the third, um, because I think he will tire Damon Jackson out, because like I said, even though Damon Jackson is a very, very talented grappler in his own right, I think that Pat Sabatini is just a better technical grappler and a better... He has the better ability to put everything together, I think, is the best way to describe it. And I'm a big fan of Pat Sabatini. I've been a fan of his since he started in the UFC, and he's actually one of my locks for this week. So my pick is going to be Pat Sabatini to defeat Damon the Leech jackson Um, I'm going to go with a decision, but I could see a third round submission like later in the fight. I could see him locking up a submission after he's able to tire out Jackson with the constant scrambles, the constant changing of positions, the constant relentless pressure with his wrestling, with his takedowns, just pushing Jackson up against the cage, being able to reverse position. If he does get taken down, I think he's really going to suck the life out of the leech the longer the fight goes past that 12-minute mark. You know, past that 10-minute mark to the 15-minute mark, that's really when Pat Sabatini is going to shine here. And I think he's going to outpace and outpressure Damon Jackson and really dominate him in that third round for a pretty clear-cut um, 29-27 unanimous decision. So my pick is Pat Sabatini to defeat Damon the Leech Jackson via a 29-27. I think he'll get a 10-8 in the third unanimous decision. Like I said, I could see a third-round submission, but I'm not confident enough to pick it because Jackson is a competent grappler, and, you know, he's not easy to get a hold of on the floor either. Uh, But I got to go with Pat Sabatini here to win via 29-27 unanimous decision. If you look at the odds for the fight, I'm going to pull them up really quick. Best fight odds, that's usually the best way to pull it up. Uh, UFC fight night. You're looking at a money line of minus 180 for Pat Sabatini as the favorite to plus 155 for Damon Jackson as an underdog. I think you hammer Pat Sabatini, whether it's parlays, whether it's a straight up bet. I think Pat Sabatini is one of the biggest locks on the card for this event, UFC Vegas 60. And I love Pat Sabatini. Parlay him, play him straight up. I expect Pat Sabatini to improve his UFC record to 5-0, and and then improve the undefeated record of Gracie Philly out in the UFC. So, take, give me Pat Sabatini, 29-27, unanimous decision over Damon, the Leach Jackson, and a pretty standout and impressive performance from Sabatini here is what I expect. All right, and the next fight up is going to kick off the main card in the middleweight division. You have a former Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series contract winner, Making his UFC debut in Body Bags, Joe Pfeiffer, who comes into the fight with a record of nine victories and two defeats, going up against Alan Amadovsky, who comes back with a record of eight victories and three defeats, but his three losses are his only three fights in the UFC. And look, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Amadovsky is kind of a brawler. He had a lot of hype coming into the UFC. They thought he was a knockout artist, had some decent striking, had power in his hands, and, you know, Dana White obviously signed him thinking that he was going to come into the UFC and really, really put on a show and, like, be this fan-favorite brawler. But the thing is, he can't brawl with guys at the UFC level. They always say the UFC is the proving ground. It's the premier mixed martial arts organization in the world. That's where the best fighters go. I think that narrative has changed a little bit, but eventually all the best fighters in the world do make it over to the UFC. And Alan Omadowski, he can't hack it. He can't hack it. He lost his three fights in the UFC you look at his record, we can pull it up really quick. Like I said, 8-3. and three, But if you look at his UFC record, he's sitting at, let's see. He's got a submission via rear naked choke that lost to Joseph Holmes in his last fight in May of this year. He's got a knockout loss to John Phillips, who got smashed, smashed by Hamzat Shemaev. And then he's got a unanimous decision loss to Jotko. Now, he did go the decision with Jotko. That looks good for him. That was in his UFC debut, but he still lost the fight. So 0-3 in the UFC, finished by knockout, finished by submission. Look, I think he's decent, but I think that his defensive irresponsibility and the defensive flaws and his ability to kind of just brawl and keep his chin up in the air, going and doing that against a guy who has as solid fundamentals, solid enough fundamentals like a Joe Pfeiffer You know, like body bags, Joe Piper, he has great fundamentals. Even the way he threw that left hook on the contender series, the guy stepped in, he parries with the rear hand, boom, throws that left hook, picture perfect techniques, lands it on the chin, his opponent, uh, I think it was Joseph Diaz goes out basically from that left hook or Anthony Diaz or whatever his, I can't think of his name. I think it was Joseph Diaz, but lands that left hook, boom, cracks him on the chin, drops him, jumps on him with some ground and pound and puts him out. The thing is, you look at his contender series fight. Yeah, he looked great. He got that first round KO, but there's a lot to learn from that fight. His movement, his ability to slip his head out of the way, to slip and pivot, slip and change the angle, and then to catch the opponent moving backwards. I don't think people understand how hard it is to catch an opponent with a power shot in a check hook backing straight up. He was backing up, boom, caught him stepping in with a left hook. To have power and knockout power moving backwards is a very, very difficult thing to do in professional mixed martial arts, especially at the highest level. Now, this is body bag Joe Pyfer's debut in the UFC, but you look at his overall record. I mean, he's 9-2 and two overall with six knockouts, two submissions, and one decision. So eight out of his nine wins come by way of finish. And he's only been a decision one time. He's got one knockout loss and one submission loss. So it's kind of kill or be killed when it comes to body bags, Joseph Pfeiffer. It's he either puts you out or you put him out. But you look at his last few fights. He's got that knockout victory over Osmond Diaz. So that was the guy on the contender series. A TKO in the second round, boom, drops him with that check left hook. He's got a knockout victory in CFFC. Over Austin Trotman, that was in the second round as well. He lost a fight to Dustin Stoltzfus via TKO, but it was due to an elbow injury. Before that, he had a TKO in the second round over Chase Gamble. Before that, he lost to Yonavin Patti via submission back in November of 2019. Before that, he had a TKO over Matt Foster, a KO over Elijah Gaboli, a Sabrina choke submission over Eric Roncoroni. Ron Caroni, sorry, I can't say his name right. He had a uh, technical submission where he choked him unconscious over Lorenzo Hunt. He's also got a unanimous decision victory over Derek Wilson. I mean, this guy is a finisher, is Joseph Pfeiffer. Nine wins, eight wins coming by way of finish. I just expect him to be able to catch Amadovsky on the chin and not only hand him another loss and make him go 0-4 in the UFC, but hand him his walking papers as well. I think the technical uh, striking of a Joseph Pfeiffer his ability to move his head off the center line, to move laterally, and the power he possesses in one shot. He has true one-shot knockout power. And with a guy like Amadovsky, who loves the brawl, who sometimes stands in the pocket and kind of plays the whose balls are bigger and swings with his chin up in the air, just throws the punches kind of out wild, brawling, looping shots, overhands, hooks, uppercuts, but he keeps his chin on the center line. You know, keeping your head on the center line and your chin up in the air against body bags is going to put you in a body bag. And that's kind of what I expect. You know, I expect another vicious knockout in the first round uh, from Joseph Pfeiffer. I know that Amadovsky was very highly regarded before he got into the UFC. But like I said, his lack of defensive responsibility, I think Amadovsky going to get hit with a straight right. Pfeiffer going to land that left hook behind it, and he's going to knock him out cold. I think he doesn't even have to follow up. I think he catches him coming in when Amadovsky tries to brawl. Right hand, left hook, drops him and knocks him out. So my pick is going to be Joseph Pfeiffer or body bags Joe Pfeiffer to defeat Alan Amadovsky via first round knockout victory. Right hand, left hook behind it as Amadovsky tries to close the distance and get off on his brawling style of combinations. Now, Joe Pfeiffer is heavy, heavy. He's a heavy, heavy favorite when it comes to the money line. I mean, he's minus 460, minus 500 in some places, a 5-1 to one favorite. Look, I know that's a big ask, but if you want to bet Pfeiffer, throw him in a parlay. I think is a very, very solid parlay piece, even at those big odds. I like Piper. I like Sabatini in a parlay. Um, I think Piper by finish is a good line. I don't know what the odds are for Piper to win via, uh, what's it called? Pfeiffer to win via KO. We'll actually look that up because I can probably pull it up. UFC odds on DraftKings. They should be up already. Let's see. Go to UFC. Let's see. Finish only. If you bet finish only for Pfeiffer versus Amadovsky, I mean, finish only for Pfeiffer is minus 700. That's almost better to play it on the money line. But I think Pfeiffer gets a knockout victory in this fight. So if we look at Joseph Pfeiffer to win by knockout, you're going to get odds of minus 165. So I think that's the better play this week. I think Pfeiffer's a good parlay piece. I do expect him to get the finish here. But I think Pfeiffer to win by KO is um, the best way to play it at minus 165. I know he's got a submission victory on his record. He's gotten submissions before, but this guy's mainly a knockout artist. He's a technical striker, and he's got power in his hands to knock you out with one shot, and I think that's what he does to Amadovsky, and he sends him hands him his walking papers as well. So I like Pfeiffer straight up, and I also like Pfeiffer to win by knockout as a parlay piece. I know it's risky to bet winning methods in parlays, but I like Pyfer to win by KOT, KO, slash DQ at minus 165. It's going to give you a much better odd for your parlay than playing him at a minus 460, minus 500. So I like uh, Pfeiffer by KO at minus 165 for your parlays. You can pair him with Pat Sabatini, and we're going to talk about more as we continue down the card. All right, and the next fight up on the main card is a battle in the UFC's featherweight division between a longtime UFC veteran, UFC stablemate and one of the, I guess, longest-running UFC featherweights in the division in Team Alpha Male's Andre Touchy Feely, who comes into the fight with a record of 21 victories and 9 defeats, going up against the, I believe, currently streaking Bill El Senor Perfecto LGO, who comes into this fight with a record of 16 victories and 6 defeats. Now, this is a really solid fight, and I think we're going to see Feely fight this fight mainly out of his southpaw stance. You know, LGO switches stances a lot. He's constantly moving, constantly in and out, constantly changing his angles. He loves to shoot that switch stance straight left hand. He'll start in orthodox, move, you know, with his hands down low, and boom, pop that straight left in, kind of darting in, switching into southpaw, and then, you know, changing the angle, going back to orthodox, jab, left hook, right knee up the middle. Um, I think we're going to see Feely really look to use his wrestling in this fight. The one thing you'll notice about Bill LGO is You know, on the feet, he does get hit. He gets hit with a lot of low kicks. He gets hit with some body shots as well. But he's not, you know, known for having the best takedown defense. And a lot of the times, if he's losing a fight, it's because he's kind of moving forward a little bit too much or he's off balance when he's moving and he gets caught off balance, gets caught overextending or people are able to slip you know, and get in on his hips and shoot in and take him down. I think we're going to see Feely look to use a lot of that wrestling game and also use the left inside low kicks and then left body kick from southpaw on Bill Elgio whenever he tries to come into range. The only thing is, I think the unorthodox style of Bill Elgio is going to give Feely some trouble. I expect the constant stance changes, the the unorthodox angles with his boxing and the kind of low pitter-patter to bop, 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 and then boom, popping in with a a power shot, boom, 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 bop, bop. Boom, 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 pop. It's kind of like if you ever watch high level strikers work the heavy bag, that kind of reminds me of like Bill Elgio striking a little bit. If he goes in combinations, it's kind of a pop, 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 boom, pop, 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 boom, boom. He's throwing, you know, light shots to get you kind of, you know, dropping him down on your defenses and then coming in with power shots, power straight left, power straight right switch stance, overhand left, he's very good with the overhands, getting the outside foot on the opponent, and landing the overhands, I think if Feely fights out of southpaw, you're going to see a lot of stutter steps, a lot of hip feints, you know, hip feint, inside low kick, hip feint, hip feint, fake, get to the outside foot, boom, land the overhand right, boom, land the overhand right, getting that outside foot and using the straights to get that outside angle, and then the overhand right as he has that outside angle on the southpaw, and Feely now, Feely, is an orthodox, just reverse what I just said. He'll use that overhand left from southpaw to get on the outside foot of Feely as an orthodox fighter. I think we're going to see a heavy kicking game on the feet and a heavy wrestling game uh, from Andre Touchy Feely. I think the more of the boxing, the footwork, the in-and-out movement is going to come from Bill Elgio. But, you know, Andre Feely very, very solid. You look at the fight with Daniel Pineda. I mean, he was able to land a right hook, a straight left hand, a left high kick, switch orthodox one-two right high kick behind it or, you know, something along those lines. He can change stances freely. He can land power kicks from southpaw to the body and to the head and high kicks. Feely is one of the best kickers in MMA, and I don't really care what you say because his body kick from southpaw is money, and his left high kick and his right high kick has speed and a lot of power behind it. And with the low hands of a Bill Elgio, I think that those high kicks as Elgio you know, darts off or cuts an angle or slips underneath and tries to cut – you know, move laterally. You saw it with Marlon Chito Vera against Dominic Cruz. I think Feely can catch him with a high kick as he's moving laterally with his hands low. But we haven't really seen Bill Elgio get finished. I'm not sure 100% if he's actually ever been TKO'd in his career. We're actually going to pull that up right now and check it out. Bill Elgio has lost six times. He's never been knocked out, he's been submitted twice, and he's lost four decisions out of his six losses. When it comes to his wins, he's got six by decision, six by submission, and four KOTKOs. Um, when it comes to this fight stylistically, I think that uh, Andre Touchy Feely's best weapons in this fight are his kicking game. As Feely or as LGO moves laterally, you saw him get chopped with low kicks a lot against Joe Anderson Brito, and then when he got those low kicks chopped against him. He was able to kind of slow Andre touch or slow LGO down and then was able to work with the hands. I think we're gonna see Feely start low, use those inside and outside low kicks, use that left southpaw kick to the body, and then eventually try to use those boxing combinations, or he's gonna fake the kick, fake the punch, and then use the punch to close the distance and get it on the hips of LGO. The the path of least resistance for an Andre touchy feely in this fight is gonna to be to use his grappling. Use his wrestling. Take Bill L G O down. He doesn't have the best takedown defense, like we said already. If you look at his grappling statistics, he's only got a 54% takedown defense, while Andre Touchy-Feely has a 50% takedown accuracy. So basically, for every two takedowns that – Andre touchy-feely shoots, he's going to get one of them. And I think that Andre or, uh, Bill Elgio's takedown defense has gotten better the longer he's fought in the UFC. You saw him showcase good takedown defense the longer the fight went against Joe Anderson Brito. And I think in that second, in that third round, it's going to be harder for Andre Feely to get those takedowns. But I think if he can establish the wrestling dominance early in the first round and then use those kicks when he's at kicking range from the southpaw stance, chop those low kicks, I think he can do well here. I think he could probably get a decision. I don't necessarily expect any finishes from either of these guys, but I could honestly see Bill Elgio catching Feely shooting a takedown with one of those knees up the middle. He's very sneaky like a Dan the Hangman hooker with using that long, lanky frame to land those knees up the middle. And if he sees that... Andre Feely is gonna be looking to shoot a lot of takedowns. He might be able to switch stance and come up the middle with that knee like a Dan Hooker, catch Feely on the chin, hurt him, and put him out. Now, I don't really, like I said, I don't expect a finish from either guy, but I could see those knees working for LGO. I could see the high kicks of Andre Feely working for him against LGO when with that hands low head movement, you know, lateral movement, in and out style of footwork. He's very evasive is Bill Elgio, but when you put the pace and pressure on him, the more punches you throw, the longer your combinations are, the more likely you're going to be to hit a Bill Elgio on the feet. But really when it comes down to it, I think that the awkwardness of L G O, timed with his ability to land those straight punches and then land those knees up the middle on the takedown attempts. I think that he's going to be able to pick apart, not pick apart, but I think he's going to be able to kind of pot shot Andre Feely and the volume of Bill LGO over that 15 minutes is going to really really rack it up on the judges scorecards and I think the awkward style of Bill LGO is going to make it harder for Feely to land his combinations now Feely switches stances a lot he can land power kicks from both stances good combinations switch mid combo or uh switch stance mid combo he's very very well rounded but coming off that knockout loss to Joe Anderson Brito where you know, Bill Elgio did defeat Joe Anderson Brito via decision, and it was a pretty clear cut decision as well. I know, you know, anybody can get caught, but going off of, you know, matching opponents, you look at Lgio, he, his last loss came to Ricardo Hamos via decision. And then he lost a decision to Ricardo Lamas, but he actually was able to catch Lamas up the middle with a knee. And then he's got wins in the UFC over Spike Carlisle, Joe Anderson, Brito, and then Herbert Burns. It was a TKO from Herbert Burns. He just really put the pace and pressure on him when it went into the second and the third round. Really just, you know, put the pace on that guy in the second round. I'm sorry. He he put the pace on him. He tired him out. And he just kind of put a whooping on him after he survived some submission scares. You look at Andre Touchy Feely. The only common opponent, I believe, that they have is uh Joe Anderson Vito. LGO beat, you know, Joe Anderson Vito. And Andre Touchy-Feely got knocked out in the first round. And he's actually coming off that knockout loss, where Feely had never been KO'd before that, I believe. And, you know, Feely's fought more guys. He's got uh, wins over the likes of Charles Jordan Shaman Morais, Wins over, you know, Miles Jury, Dennis Bermudez. Uh, wins over Gabriel Benitez. He's got some really, really solid wins, but he loses a lot. I mean, if you look at his last five on in, he's got... One, two, three, four, five. He's got three losses, one no contest, and one win. Now, out of those five fights, his only win was coming over uh, Charles Jourdain. Back in June of 2020, uh, he won that fight via unanimous decision. I've talked about Jourdain in that Nathaniel Wood fight. I picked Nathaniel Wood to defeat Charles Jourdain. Um, I think he's very hot and cold, and I think the hype he gets, he is a very solid striker and a good, well-rounded fighter, but his fight IQ isn't the best, and I think we saw that in the Nathaniel Wood fight. Definitely. But um, I think Feely does have an opportunity to win this fight if he relies heavily on the wrestling and the grappling and then using the kicks when he's at kicking range. But I think the awkward style of LGO is going to really cause Feely a little bit of trouble and really affect his timing when it comes to setting up the combinations on the feet. And I think over the three rounds, we're going to see LGO just kind of pick it up in the second, pick it up in the third, and bank two rounds out of three. I could see him catching Feely with that knee up the middle. I could also see Andre touchy Feely, you know, using his wrestling and grappling and then kicks like we already said. To really, really stamp his claim and then win a dominant decision. I could see dominance in either aspect of this fight. But the one thing is I don't expect a, f- a finish. But I'm going to go with Bill El Senor Perfecto Elgio to defeat Andre Feely via a 29-28 split decision. I think it's going to be a very close fight. A very highly contested fight. Could be your fight of the night. But I'm going to side with Elgio to defeat Feely via 29-28 split decision. Um, When it comes to playing the fight in terms of betting, I like LGO as an underdog, but honestly, the fight is so close. I don't really know if I'd touch it by picking a winner on either side, but I do like the fight goes the distance. I think you get it at like minus 200, which is sometimes a little crazy, but as a parlay piece, I kind of like it this weekend. I think Feely versus LGO to go the distance is good. I like LGO as an underdog. I would not blame you for playing Feely as well, and if you want to stay away from it altogether, then go ahead. I really think this is kind of like a a 60-40 fight, like 55-45 style of fight, very close, razor thin, but I am on a side with the variety and um awkward style of LGO to give Feely some trouble in setting up his uh, game plan and then eventually working his way to a decision by outstriking Andre Touchy Feely. So my pick is Bill LGO to defeat Andre Touchy Feely via 29-28 split decision. Um like I said, I think playing the fight, I like LGO as an underdog, but if you want to play Feely, I really can't you know, fault you. It's really close, like minus 135 to plus 110, plus 105, minus 125, with Feely being the slight favorite. Um, I like fight to go the distance. I think that's probably your best option. And when you look at that fight, or um, that, what's it called? When you look at the, let's see. You can play so many different things on like DraftKings and stuff. Double chance, nah. Fight lines. Let's see. Where is LGO and Feely? Feely minus 135 on DraftKings to a plus 100 for Bill LGO. And you look at fight props. That's probably what we want, right? Fight to go the distance is minus 200. So, like, it's not crazy, crazy heavy. But as a parlay piece, I kind of like it. I think that's the best way to play it. And I like LGO as the slight underdog, but it's such a close fight that I could see Feely winning it as well. But, you know, based off the fact he's coming off a knockout, I got to slide or side with LGO in the variety of a Bill LGO. Um, Fighter to win by split or majority decision is actually at plus 400. I kind of like that. I think it's going to be a close fight, and I could see a split decision. And I actually called the 29-28 split decision for Bill Algeo to win. So if you want to play it at the plus 400, I think that's the most lucrative uh, betting option for this fight. And it's probably going to be most likely because I do think it's going to be close. I don't think it'll be dominant in any one aspect from either guy. So I actually like the fight to be won by split or majority decision at plus 400. That's a very, very solid line for Philly and Algeo. All right, and now we move to the co-main event of the evening in the UFC's middleweight division between Chitty, Chitty, Bang Bang, and Jekwani, who comes into this fight with a record of 22 victories and seven defeats, going up against Gregory Robocop Rodriguez, who comes back with a record of 12 victories and four defeats. Um, honestly, this is going to be a firefight. I expect these guys to go to war. I, I wouldn't expect it to get out of the first round. Um, I'll say I won't expect it to get out of the second round, but I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't get out of the first round. I think both of these guys are going to come forward, look to get in each other's face, and just bang with each other. You know, you got Chitty Bang Bang and Robocop. I mean, two great nicknames. I think Gregory Rodriguez is a guy who a lot of people call him, like, the cy- I've heard the Cyborg version of barack obama and honestly bro that's so funny because if you look at him and you put like if you put black hair or a fade on gregory rodriguez this man would literally be barack obama like that is that's his freaking hilarious when i actually looked at it i was like oh my god he's the cyborg juiced up version of barack obama and shitty njikawani you know he hasn't been in the ufc for too long he's kind of had Pretty short fights, to be honest. He's only had two fights in the UFC. One was a first-round knockout over Mark andre Berialt, timed an, outside, an inside low kick, one, two, boom, dropped him and put him out in the first round. I think it was like 15 or 17 seconds into the fight. And then he had a fight against Dusko Todorovic, and he actually knocked him out with an elbow off the break from inside the clinch in the second round, I believe. I can actually check that out. We'll go look at the records real quick and pull it up. You've got Chidi Anjikawani at 22-7 and seven with 14 knockouts, one submission, and seven decisions. And then with his losses, three by KO, three by submission, and one by decision. So out of his seven losses, he has been finished six times, three submissions and three knockouts. But he's got a first-round elbow knockout like that one I just talked about over Dusko Todorovic with that elbow off the break from inside the clinch. And then he had that first-round knockout with an overhand right against Marc-Andre Berial at 16 seconds of the first round he had a third round TKO victory over Mario Felipe de salsa coming off of the Dana White Tuesday night contender series prior to that he had a TKO victory at LFA 91 over Christian Torres Christian Torres in the second round he lost a decision to Rafael Carvalho at Bellator 224 he got submitted by John Salter at Bellator 210. He law or he won a decision over Hisaki Kato at Bellator 189. He lost to the former Bellator middleweight champion and Andre Korishkov via first round TKO elbows and punches. I believe it was probably ground and pound TKO. A decision over Melvin Gallard TKO win over Andre Fialho, which is very impressive. a decision victory over Ricky Rainey a split decision victory over Max Griffin. A decision victory over Gilbert Smith at RFA 22, former Tough alumni, multiple-time Tough alumni. Uh, Yeah, and those are kind of some of his good wins. So his best win, I would say, in his entire career would probably have to be the win over Andre Fialo. And then after that, it would probably have to be the victory over Max Griffin. But he's kind of coming into his own, you know, two back-to-back wins in the UFC um, three, if you're counting the Dana White Tuesday night contender series, all coming by way of TKO. And then prior to that, I don't believe he was ever in the UFC, but his brother, Anthony Njokawani was in the UFC, you know, back in the day, one of the veterans of the sport, Anthony Njokawani, excuse me, Anthony Njokawani, but Chidi Njokawani is a very technical striker that overhand, right. And that straight down the middle from, from the Orthodox stance is very, very solid. There's not a lot of wind-up. The way he caught Marc-Andre Berial with that right hand was beautiful. It was picture-perfect technique. It was textbook. And we saw in the fight against Todorovic that, yeah, he might get taken down, but he's very good at getting back up to his feet, scrambling. His scrambling ability is very good. And it's harder and harder to take Njikawani down the longer the fight goes. It seems like once you get maybe one takedown on him, he's able to defend the takedowns a little bit better, almost like he downloads the way that you shoot your takedowns and it makes it harder and harder for you to take him down the longer the fight goes. And I think that he's very good at stopping takedowns. He's good at striking off the break and against the guy in RoboCop who has absolutely fantastic striking and a lot of power. Like I said, both these guys are very, very solid and have a ton of power. You look at Gregory Rodriguez, you look at his last few fights, he's 12 and four overall as a professional mixed martial artist. He's got two losses coming by way of KO and two by decision, and then seven wins by KO, three by submission, and two by decision. Kind of all around the board, but most of his wins come by way of KO. He's got that knockout victory over Julian Marquez. He lost a split decision to Armin Petrosian, who's a very, very solid uh, kickboxer on the feet, so to be able to hang with him at a high level is very, very impressive, even if it's in the UFC. He had that back-and-forth war with Jun Young Park, where he knocked him out in the second round, but He got hit a bunch of times, got hurt, um, kept his chin in the air, and they kind of just traded until somebody fell. He had a unanimous decision victory over Dusko Todorovic, a knockout victory over Josh Fremd at LFA 108. That was back in March uh, or May of 2021. Fremd coming out of Factory X. He had a UFC debut against Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, who actually fights on this card as well. But, um, you know, he didn't have a good, successful debut against Hernandez. Hernandez was able to outgrapple him. He lost to Jordan Williams on the Dana White Tuesday night contender series via knockout. And, you know, Jordan Williams, the, uh, actually Jordan Williams was in the UFC, right? Nine and six overall, uh, lost to Ian Gary, lost to Mickey Gall, lost to Nazardine Imovov, uh, decision submission KO. His only UFC win actually came against Gregory Robo Cop Rodriguez and he's nine and six overall as a professional mixed martial artist, So that loss definitely has some question marks when it comes to Gregory Rodriguez. But after that knockout over Al Motavayo knockout over Josh Frem decision over Dusko Todorovic, KO over Jung Young Park. He went on a four fight win streak after that loss to Jordan Williams. Then he lost to Armin Petrosian via split decision. And then he came back and got that knockout over Julian Marquez in a back and forth war. Here's the thing. You know, I guess the Marquez fight wasn't really a war, but they traded. Gregory Rodriguez likes to stand in the pocket and trade with you. He keeps his chin high up in the air. His technical striking is very solid, though. Very good rear uppercut left hook. Good one-two down the middle. Good jab right hand left hook. Good jab to an uppercut, right hand, uppercut, you know, right hand fade back to the rear side, land an uppercut up the middle. He's very, very solid and technical with his striking. He uses good lateral movement, very good at slipping his head off the center line while cutting the angle to the lead side, you know, slip and pivot, slip pivot, roll pivot. He's very, very solid and technical. And for a big guy in the middleweight division, because he is a big, solid middleweight, he's very technical. But the thing is, I just think that, Chidi Njikawani is better with the defense on the feet, and he's also a more technical striker. I think when it comes to power, I'd probably have to give the power advantage to Gregory Rodriguez, but I think in terms of putting combinations together, in terms of having more weapons on the feet, I think Chidi Njikawani is a more well-rounded striker than a Gregory Rodriguez, but it's very close neck and neck because Rodriguez is very technical with his shots. He's clean and crisp. He's got good movement, so it's a very close fight, almost a pick when it comes to striking on the feet. The biggest advantage here is going to be the grappling and jiu-jitsu of a Gregory Rodriguez. I believe he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, but the way he was able to take the back of Julian Marquez, I mean, basically hopped on his back from standing and then was able to lock up a body triangle, and he's a big dude, and I mean, he flew into that body triangle and was able to flow very, very well, and you know, for such a big guy, and we've seen some issues with the grappling against Dusko Todovic for Chitty and Jukwani, he was able to get taken down. He did get controlled up against the cage, but he showed good scrambling ability, good ability to use the uh, wizard, good ability to get up to a hip and work his way off the fence, ability to stop the takedowns, stop the submissions, but Rodriguez is a lot bigger than Dusko Tododovic. and I feel like if Chitty gives up his back to Gregory Rodriguez, he probably will get submitted or grounded and pounded, and i think that the at you know the best weapon or best path to victory for rodriguez is going to be wrestling using his jiu jitsu and looking to set up the submissions but on the feet it's pretty close for both guys but i would give the slight technical advantage to Chidi and Jikawani. i give the slight power advantage to rodriguez i give heavily i give a heavy advantage to Rodriguez in terms of his wrestling and jiu-jitsu. So the more well-rounded fighter in the fight is going to be RoboCop, Gregory Rodriguez. But if we look at some of the stats for this fight, you've got both men coming in at six-three, 6'3", uh, and a 5-inch reach advantage for Chitty and Enjikawani. I think that reach advantage is going to play a big factor here. I think it's going to be harder for Rodriguez to close the distance. I think we'll see body kicks, the long jabs, the 1-2s from Chitty, jab overhand right, feint the jab overhand right, jabs of the body overhands. I think we're going to see a lot of trying to expose the fact that when Rodriguez gets into, into you know his flow, he keeps his head on the center line, his chin up in the air, and just throws those power shots. Now, he has a lot of power, and his punches are crisp and clean, but he keeps his chin up in the air a little bit too much for my liking against a guy who can put you out with elbows, punches, knees, high kicks, like a shitty Njikawani. They don't call him chitty bang-bang for no reason. And I feel like the straight technical punches and the overhands of Chidi Anjikawani are going to be there against Rodriguez. And Rodriguez has been knocked out before. You know, we saw two of his four losses come by way of KO. And you look at the reach advantage, you know, a five-inch reach advantage – You look at the grappling, that's where Gregory Rodriguez is going to have a big advantage. He averages 2.4 takedowns per 15-minute fight with a 53% takedown accuracy. He's defended all the takedowns against him. Njikawani has a 76% takedown defense rate. So yes, he does get taken down, but he has decent defense, and it is... You know, possible for him to stuff your takedowns and work his way back up to the feet, like we saw in the Dusko Todorovic fight. Rodriguez obviously has a decision victory over Todorovic, while Kawani has that knockout with that elbow off the break from the clinch. So Kawani's t- uh, win is a little bit more impressive, but they both hold wins over Dusko Todorovic. But I expect Rodriguez to look to grapple in this fight. I think the longer he stays on the feet, it is possible he catches and Jokawani with a big power shot and puts him out. He does have good straight punches, good right uppercut, good left hook, really, really solid right uppercut, actually. That's probably one of his best shots. But I think the longer he stays on the feet with Chitty, the easier or the more danger he's going to be in to get caught by that overhand right, to get set up with the guy who has a five-inch reach advantage behind the jab, behind the one-two, the one-two, the left hook into the overhand right, the left hook into the right hand. I think the longer that RoboCop stays on the feet, the more danger he's in. And I think the path of least resistance for Gregory Rodriguez is going to be to take Chitty Njikawani down, look to take his back, lock up the body triangle and look for a submission. And I think we're going to see Rodriguez look to grapple. But I also think that even though that's the way that he should fight, Rodriguez doesn't mind getting into a brawl. And I think that's where he makes his mistake here. I think with his chin up in the air, you saw him get caught by Jung Young Park almost finished multiple times in that fight. He doesn't mind getting into a brawl. Even though he is technical, sometimes his fight IQ isn't the best. And he can sit there with his chin up in the air and get caught. You do that against Chitty Bang Bang and you're going to get bang banged and you're going to get knocked out. And that's what I think happens here. I think Rodriguez should use his grappling, but I think he gets into one too many exchanges with Njikawani on the feet, gets caught in that first round with his chin up in the air, gets caught with that overhand right, and gets finished. So my pick is going to be Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang Njikawani to defeat Gregory Robocop Rodriguez via first round TKO. Now, when you look at the money line bets for this fight, it's a pretty close neck and neck fight when it comes to money line betting. Chidi Anjokawani is a minus 125, some places minus 120, to a plus 105, uh, plus 100, plus 105 underdog for Rodriguez. So a very slight favorite for Chidi Um, I actually don't really like this fight overall in terms of parlay pieces because I think if Rodriguez uses the grappling, it's going to be dominant. If they stay on the feet, it's, feet, it's going to be close, but I think that Chidi's technical ability will give him the ability to finish Rodriguez on the feet. So it's a very close fight and one that I'm not really too confident betting on either way. Even though I have Enjikawani, I think it's very hard to bet this fight. I think the best weapon for this fight in terms of a parlay or the best selection would be to bet fight doesn't go the distance, but you're going to get a pretty hefty price tag there. I mean, you look at the odds for fight to go the distance on Rodriguez and Enjikawani Let's see, it is, uh, fight to go the distance is plus 180, not to go the distance is minus 250, so fight doesn't go the distance is probably your best bet in terms of a betting, like a surefire pick would be minus 250, Uh, fight to end in the first 60 seconds of round one is plus 1000, that'd be crazy, wouldn't it, a first minute finish. Um, what would be the win uh fight to end in the first round? Can we is it possible to look that up? Round props. Let's see. Chitty Anjikawani in round one is plus three fifty. Gregory Rodriguez in round one is plus three thirty. Chitty Anjikawani in round two is plus six fifty. Rodriguez in round two plus six hundred. Uh fight to end in the first round gets you plus one seventy-five on DraftKings. Um, I, I think that's a decent play. It could happen, but I could see it in the second round as well. And that's at plus 300. I honestly think your best your best bet in terms of overall picking is the fight doesn't go the distance at minus 250, but only play that in a parlay because betting that straight up is kind of a waste of time. If you're going to make a straight up bet, I would say bet Chidi Njikawani to win by knockout and you'll get it at plus 200 plus 200 odds for Enjikawani to win by KO and just Chitty to win by KO or just to win overall is minus 125. So I think the best bet for value would be Chidi Enjikawani straight up on the money line or Chitty Enjikawani by KO. Money line's minus 125, knockout or TKO is plus 200. And I think your best bet for a parlay piece would probably be fight doesn't go the distance and that is going to be sitting at a minus 250. So it's a hefty price tag, but for a parlay, I like fight doesn't go the distance, or I like Chitty Njikawani on the straight-up money line bet. But my pick is Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang Njikawani to defeat Gregory Robocop Rodriguez, catching him with an overhand right in the first round, to be a first-round TKO. All right, and now we get to the main event of the evening in the UFC's bantamweight division. It's one of the best fights you can make. At 135 pounds, it's a very interesting matchup, and I'm honestly kind of surprised that Corey Sandhagen took the fight, but it's a battle between the number four ranked bantamweight, former bantamweight title challenger, in Corey, the Sandman Sandhagen, going up against the number 10 ranked, 24-year-old, you know, powerhouse, I guess you could call him, powerhouse, amazing speed, amazing boxing, in Song Yadong. So, Sonya Dong versus Corey Sandhagen in a five-rounder for the UFC Vegas 60 main event. And honestly, man, I know that everybody's going to be riding Corey Sandhagen this week. I understand. I know why. I've always been a very big fan of Sandhagen. I picked him to beat Aljamain Sterling when he got submitted very early in that fight. That definitely was a fight that surprised me. I wasn't too happy about that one, but... I've been really high on Sandhagen. I knew he was going to give Peter Yan a tough fight. Um, That was a very close matchup. I picked him to beat TJ Dillashaw. A lot of people believed he did beat Dillashaw by decision. But at the end of the day, the scorecards read TJ Dillashaw is the winner. And now he goes on to face Aljamain Sterling for the title at UFC 280. But honestly, man, this is a lot tougher of a fight for Sandhagen than I think people are giving Yadong credit for. Song Yadong hasn't been around for too long. But he's been competing in mixed martial arts since the age of 18. I mean, I believe he's only 24. I mean, is it on here? They don't have the age? Let's see. I think Song Dong is 24 years old. Let me check. Yeah, 24 years old. Born December of 97. He is... This dude's a phenom, and you have to understand that being only 24 years old, the sky is really the limit for Song Yedong. Now, going into that Kyler Phillips fight when he basically got dominated for a lot of the contest, and Kyler Phillips landed that brutal head kick and probably should have knocked him out 99% of the time, but it just didn't happen. I mean, he lost that fight pretty decisively, but he did land some good combinations. Then he goes in against Magic Marlon Marais. I believe after the Kyler Phillips fight, he fought Julio Arce, landed that right high kick to the straight right hand behind it, and then knocked him out, put him out, and then he goes up against Magic Marlon Mo and puts him on ice. Now, I was very, very heavy on Song Yedong the week of that fight with Marlon Mo I had seen the decline in Marlon Mo following that Rob Font fight or going into that Rob Font fight. I believe I had picked him to win maybe once or twice after that, and he just, you know, didn't didn't get the job done. But I had seen him fading. Apparently, he's going off to the PFL, and you know we, we do, you know, work with the PFL on the pre-fight and post-fight press conferences. So, you know, I'm not surprised that he's going over there. You have a lot of guys from the UFC going over there, actually. Marlon Moraes, Tiago Santos, and Shane Burgos all going over to PFL. It looks like Marlon Moraes is going to be competing at the 145-pound division, but that's besides the point. Let's get back to what we came here to talk about. When it comes to this fight, look, I thought Song Dong was going to buzzsaw Marlon Morris, And that's basically what he did. Once that speed and power in his hands was able to come through, I mean, he landed that overhand right, left hook, rear uppercut, and put Marlon Morris out cold. But before that, he slipped the jab, came over the top, and landed an overhand right. The thing about Song Dong is he is very fast and has a lot of power. But I really think the speed and power is what's going to give Sandhagen a lot of issue in this fight. And like I said, a lot more issue than people are going into this fight giving Song Yudong credit for. I know how high-level Corey Sandhagen is. I know about his footwork, his movement, his evasiveness, his stance-switch combinations, his lethal flying knees. Like, I know about all that, and I know he's very, very solid. He's a great fighter, but I think Song Yudong is a very difficult matchup for him. You look at the stats really quick. We can pull it up. He's going to have a 3-inch height advantage as Sandhagen at 5'11 compared to 5'8 for Song Yadong. 70-inch reach to a 67-inch reach for Yadong. So Corey's going to be wanting to use that re- that reach, that length, you know, control that distance and keep Song Yadong away with long jabs, crosses, front kicks up the middle, you know, high kicks. That's what he's going to want to do. And I hear a lot of people talking about Sandhagen, you know, resorting to the grappling because we did see him get out out-gra- grappled. By Kyler Phillips in their fight in Song Yadong, That was at UFC 259. We saw him get taken down. Saw him get out grappled. And he didn't have too much for anybody off of his back. But I don't see Sandhagen resort, resorting to the wrestling. Because his comfortability. His wheelhouse. And his you know place of zen. Is on the feet in the striking distances. And a lot of the times the only thing you're going to see from Sandhagen. Is using his wrestling defensively. So I don't necessarily think we're going to see Sandhagen come into this fight. And be willing to shoot takedowns. He has decent grappling. He had good scrambles against Piotr Jan. He stuffed some of the takedowns from TJ Dillashaw, was able to work back up to his feet. He's not incompetent when it comes to the grappling and jiu-jitsu side of the game. But the game for Sandhagen is keeping you at range, constantly changing stances, you know, death by volume, death via accumulation. And he's got the power in his shots also. You saw him sit down TJ Dillashaw with that left hook. Boom, as TJ slipped off the center line, landed that flying knee and then locked him in a reverse triangle. He also knocked out Frankie Edgar with that flying knee, knocked out Marlon Moraes with a spinning wheel kick. You know, the only common opponent that these guys have, I believe, is Marlon Moraes, and both men scored knockout victories over the other. I think Corey's is a little more impressive because at the time when he did it, Marlon Moraes was still like considered to be the, one of the top bantamweights in the world. Then when Song Yudong did it, even though I did pick him to win, and it was very impressive for him to get him out of there in the first round, he was facing a Marlon Rice who wasn't really, you know, highly regarded as much. He wasn't as highly regarded anymore is what I'm trying to say. Like at that point, he had already been kind of counted out and faded by a lot of people. But I do think a lot of people picked Marlon Rice to beat Song Yedong. But I think that Dong win over Marlon Marais with that vicious knockout, I think that really opened a lot of people's eyes to how talented Song Yedong is. He trains out a Team Alpha Male, you know, out in Sacramento, California, Uriah Faber. I believe Danny Castillo used to be there, but he's not there anymore. Chad Mendez, et cetera, et cetera. And then you got Corey Sandhagen training out at Elevation Fight Team in Colorado with the likes of a Curtis Blades. Uh, Rose Nami Yunus is out there. Justin Gaethje, Kamaru Uzman. And honestly, I think this fight is basically a coin flip. And I understand people are going to say, Corey is so much better, you know, defensively. He's so much better with his evasive footwork. He's going to be cutting so many angles that Yadong's not going to be able to line up his crisp boxing in his kicking game. I understand, and that could honestly be how the fight plays out. I think that it's definitely a possibility that the footwork movement and in-and-out style of a Corey Sandhagen, the lateral movement, the changing stances off the circling, you know, circle to his left, Orthodox circle to his right, change southpaw, constantly throwing combos, throwing kicks and using the kicks to change the stances as the foot comes down. He is very evasive and he is very tricky when it comes to the striking game on the feet. But to be honest, I think that Yedong's speed and power is going to be a problem for Sandhagen when he gets caught up against that cage wall. And it's not easy to track down Corey because of how much he moves and how good he is, you know, defensively with his evasiveness. But if Corey Sandhagen gets caught up against the cage against Song Yadong, the speed and power that this kid possesses, he can knock Corey Sanhagen out. I mean, we saw him get dropped by Piotr Jan, who obviously, in my opinion, is one of the best bantamweights in the world. I still think he's the best bantamweight in the world, but right now, Eljamain Sterling stakes that claim because he has the gold. But, you know, he did get caught at certain points, you know, trapped against the fence, kind of circling You know, as he was doing all that movement, Piotr Jan was kind of waiting and waiting and waiting until he found his opening to land those combinations, whether it was kicks, whether it was the boxing, the uppercuts worked very well for Piotr Jan against Corey Sandhagen. He actually landed like a rainbow style uppercut as Sandhagen was circling against the fence. Yadong has a very solid rear and lead uppercut. Sometimes he throws his punches kind of like a a wing chung or like a traditional martial arts style, like a karate style, where it's just like Not like that, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like he's kind of just like he's throwing it out extremely fast, but it's coming at an awkward angle, is what I'm trying to explain. When he throws those punches from an awkward angle, it's harder for the opponent to see. And when Sandhagen has his hands down and is moving laterally up, you know, against the fa- the fence or close in proximity to the fence, that's when Yadon can let those power power bombs go. That's when he can let those hands go. That's when he can let those boxing combinations fly. And Yudong and Piotr Jan are kind of similar in the way that they approach the game. I would say that Piotr Jan moves a little bit more. He changes his stances a little bit more. But they're both very clean with their hands. They both have very solid uppercuts, good shots. They kind of wait and then download the data. And that's what I think is going to cause Sandhagen a little bit of trouble. It might not right out the gate. I mean, I I don't expect Yudong to win the first round. But I think that with Sandhagen's lateral movement and the fact that he does get caught a lot, I think we see how many punches he evades and moves away from, or evades and moves away from. I'm just talking too fast today. We see how many punches he evades and moves away from. And we kind of let that stop you from the fact that although he is very good defensively and Things like that. With that hands low style, he does get caught. And a lot of the times, it's with that second, third, fourth shot. It's not the first one. You might be able to slip the first shot. It's the second, the third, the fourth that eventually catches you off guard. And Sandhagen does that as well. He might not catch you with the first shot, but it might be double jab, right hand, switch southpaw, right hook, straight left, left hook, switch back to orthodox, right hand, double jab, right body kick, switch southpaw, left body kick, right hook, left body kick, switch back orthodox. Like he's constantly changing his angles. He'll he'll step in southpaw throw out that rear hand just to dart into the opposite stance and get the outside angle if you're in a southpaw stance to then land that right hand left hook with that outside foot he's very very tricky with the way that he sets up his combinations and it could be a factor of Yudong downloading so much data that it's kind of paralysis by analysis and he just gets picked apart for the longer the fight goes but Yudong's got power Yudong's got speed Corey likes to throw a lot of fancy techniques and if he throws that flying knee and it's it's telegraphed against song yadong i could see yadong catching cory sandhagen with an overhand right or a left hook off the you know as he's in the middle of the air just like tyson nam did to oday osborne as you as you go up for that flying knee boom overhand right i could see a similar situation here with yadong catching Corey sandhagen jumping in with that flying knee with that overhand right but I honestly think that Corey is going to get trapped up against the cage circling. And as he's moving laterally, Yadong's going to cut him off up against the cage and start to unload those boxing combos. He's very quick. He's very crisp as well. A lot of the times people will tech will sacrifice technique for speed with Song dong, his speed is, you know, elevates the technique that he throws. His technique is always sharp, but he's probably the fastest 135er in the division. And I 100% believe that. I think Yudong has the fastest hands in this division alongside Piotr Jan. 100% I believe that. And I think that the speed and power with the hands style of Sandhagen is going to cause Sandhagen a lot of trouble. He's going to get caught up against the cage. He's going to get caught with some shots. I could see Yudong knocking him out. But I think Corey's very durable, but it would not surprise me if Yudong put him out. If Yudong knocked out Corey Sandhagen as he was moving against the cage and he hit him with a brutal combination with that overhand right, left hook, right uppercut, left hook, overhand right, I could see him knocking out Corey Sandhagen. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. Um, I could see Corey also finishing off Song Yudong just working the volume, kind of overwhelming him, working the body with those body kicks, switching stances, double, or uh double, Shot with the rear hand from Southpaw, double cross, switch to orthodox right body kick like he did against Magic Marlon LeRice. I could see him using that stuff, chopping the body, chopping the legs, and just overwhelming him in the fourth round or fifth round and getting a TKO. I think Corey can also put him out with some of his shots. He's got good spinning wheel kicks. He's got good flying knees. You know, it's possible that either of these men can knock each other out, but... I think that Song Yadong is durable enough to take the shots of Corey Sandhagen. I think Corey Sandhagen is probably the more likely person to get dropped in this fight. If somebody does get dropped, I would actually think that Yadong's boxing, his power, and his speed would be the thing that caught Corey off guard and left him open for a shot and got dropped. But I think Corey's good enough to survive. I don't think he's easily taken out either. I mean, obviously, you look at his record. He's only getting finished by submission, never been TKO'd in his entire career. And the only person to finish him off, I believe, is Eljemein Sterling, but going off of this fight in like the actual prediction. I mean, let's look at a little bit more of the stats before I give you my final thoughts on the fight. You look at significant strikes. Corey Sandhagen lands six point four two significant strikes per minute to four point nine two for Song Dong. So very close, about seven six point five for Corey to about five for Song Dong. Significant strike percentage, very close as well. 44% significant strike accuracy for Corey Sandhagen to 42% for Song Yadong. 4.5 strikes absorbed per minute for Corey to 3.78 for Yadong. So Yadong is a little bit better defensively. You look at the defense stat as well, and that will echo that sentiment. You got 55% defense rate for Corey Sandhagen to almost a 60% defense rate at 59% for Song Yedong. I honestly think that it's Song Dong's time. I think that this is going to be the fight where we see the young, up-and-coming young gun take out the old guard. And I'm not saying Corey's the old guard at 135, because he hasn't been at the top for super, super long. But I do think that the speed and power and the the patience of Song Dong is going to cause him to get Corey, get the better of Sandhagen up against the cage with his boxing combinations land inside and outside low kicks as Sandhagen is circling to kind of slow down that lateral movement, which in turn will make him more stationary for the combinations of Song Yudong. And like I said, I don't expect either of the guys to get finished. But if I was going to go with a finish on either side, I would say I would more likely see Song Yadong knocking out Corey than I would see Corey knocking out Song Yadong. We haven't seen Yadong go five rounds, and this is obviously a five-round main event, so you do have to think about that in the back of your mind. But when it comes down to it in the official prediction, I'm going to go with Song Yadong to defeat Corey Sandhagen via a 48-47 split decision. I think it's going to be a very close fight, but I think Song Yadong's speed power and technical boxing is going to cause Corey a lot of trouble throughout these five rounds. And I don't think Corey's going to get like dominated or whitewashed or completely, you know, outclassed. I don't think that at all. I think it's going to be a very close fight. This is a very high level matchup. And like I said, between two of the best bantamweights in the division, and I'm going to go with Song Yedong's speed and power and patience throughout the fight to win three out of those five rounds and get a 48, 47 unanimous decision. So the final pick is the underdog in the number 10 ranked Song Yadong to defeat the number four ranked Corey the Sandman Sandhagen via 48 47 split decision? When it comes to playing this fight when you're DraftKings and you're in your sportsbook betting, I really truly would stay away from it. I know a lot of people are heavy, heavy on Corey Sandhagen. I know some people who are really heavy on Song Yadong as well. I think this fight is so close in terms of the technical aspects of the fight. That I don't really want to bet it either way. I do have one parlay with Song Yedong by decision because the odds were at plus 400, and obviously those are good odds. Plus 400 for a decision and with against two guys who don't get finished. I I like those odds. I think that's your best value play. I think the over fight, the over on the rounds, like over one and a half, over two and a half, is a decent play. But I could see Song Yedong putting him out early. I could see Corey catching Yedong with something on the feet and putting him out. You know, but I do think they're durable enough to withstand it, but it wouldn't surprise me if it happened is basically what I'm trying to say. So I think you should stay away from this fight in terms of your parlays, in terms of your bets this week. Um, Like I said, Song Yidong by decision is at plus 400. I like that bet, but I don't necessarily like it as a parlay piece. I like it more as a straight up bet, maybe with one other pick in there that you're very confident on so it can boost the parlay odds. But I think staying away from it's the best option this weekend. But yeah, guys, that's going to be it for this podcast and for my UFC Vegas 60 predictions, preview predictions and analysis, I should say. The podcast is available anywhere you can get your audio podcast. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker, and many, many more. These picks will more than likely not be uploaded to YouTube. Just kind of timing constraints and the fights are tomorrow night. So it really wouldn't have enough time to gain a lot of views and a lot of traction. So most likely the only way you're going to get these picks are through listening to the podcast that you're tuning into right now. Thank you guys all for the support. You can leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving me a review anywhere you can for the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Enjoy the fights this weekend.